This is the Team Objection Podcast for June 13th, 2023, episode 579, at our new and improved time that could become permanent, possibly. We'll see how this goes. Because I'm remembering that when we first started this, we settled on 7.30 in part because of the time difference with Michelle and that being kind of the best time for everybody involved as like the compromise. And Michelle is no longer part of the show. So she like She did. Actually, I don't know. She's I gone. mean, have you heard? I, I think she posts on, on like social media sometimes, but I don't know if it's her. I wouldn't <laughs> know. I, I, I wouldn't know. Could be a robot. We don't know. Yeah. Could be. AI is pretty good. So we don't want to push it too much later than this just because, well, first of all, we all have stuff to do. We record something after this usually. And also there are people who do tune in from a few different places. So like this is 11 o'clock East Coast time. I'm not super worried about y'all East Coast folks, but still for the time being, we're going to be here because Dave's got a commitment a little bit earlier on Tuesday night. So just get used to that. If you listen to the podcast, of course, you're not as worried about that because you just get it on Thursdays still. But if you're joining us Tuesdays live, 8 o'clock AZ time, not 730 for at least the foreseeable future. If you're joining us on Tuesdays Live, I don't want you to miss that we were just talking about beauty routines, and I was telling Dave, he really needs to get on top of his. Why? I got, I got the eye things, you know, face masks. I have a, I have a, a moisturizer, a serum. It's all about the serum these days, Dave. The goal is to look always half your age. And it gets um. actually easier when you think about it. <laughs> You know what I mean? As you add years, yeah. Yeah, like when you're 30, it's really hard to look 15. But when mm-hmm. you're 40, you can like sort of stretch 20. When when you're 8, it's really hard to look like you're 4. So Right, that exactly. So as yeah. you get yeah. older, when you're 70, you can like pull off an old-looking no. 35. No. no, you cannot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the goal. You can't because you don't do the face stuff. It's well, a beauty I, I routine, Dave. What I'm hearing is that Sean thinks I'm ugly. That's no, what I'm I don't think you're ugly. But look, you put so mm-hmm. much attention into your hair. Why don't you do it with your face? I don't put attention to my hair. Yeah, you always do. The, you're, he's out of all of us. Who has the most styled hair? This is an easy question. I mean, it's me. It is me because I use some gel. I'll say, and that he uses any product, but yes. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and even with cuts. When you and I go to get a cut, we're like, make it this, but shorter. Yeah. Dave is yeah. like, <laughs> I do like a thing. No, and I'm then, same thing. Oh, and, I have a kid. Hang on. And then they're like, hey, after I get my hair cut, they're like, well, you want any product in your hair? Like this and this and this? And I'm like, no. Yeah, I'm like, no. <laughs> Are you sure about this? And I'm like, no, I just kind of run my fingers back through it, and then I'm good. I like the way it looks this way. Did I tell you? I asked, like, basically what I do. Like, just make it shorter. And the woman was like, I hate her. I've never had this woman before. I never <laughs> want her again. She's like, do you want me to, like, do something, like, weird? Like, give you, like, a fade or whatever. And I was like, no, like, just like this, but shorter. She's like, really? I was like, yeah, especially now. Please just listen to me. Shut up. You know, I wish it wasn't such a faux pas to be like, you know, I think I'm good and just get up and walk away because I might have wanted to. Yeah, you know, it took me a long time to settle on a way that I liked the way I looked. It was really, it was actually, (laughs) this is kind of funny, a photo at Sean's bachelor party was the first time I looked at myself in a picture and I was like, I look okay. Like, it just the look of what I was wearing, the length of my facial hair, the way my hair was, and the fact that it was gray doesn't really bother me anymore. I've gotten used to that. It's been a little while now. So, like, a few years ago was the first time. I, so, now that I found something, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like, never going to experiment or try something again, but I'm like, no, I like this look. So, unless I have a compelling reason, I'm sticking with it. I'm good. You know what? Looks are important because it has to mix. You know, I want to look good, but it also has to be a nice balance of, like, I get out of bed in the morning and I'm ready to go. I don't want to like have to fuss with it, style it a certain way, get out the product. 
I want to wake up five minutes before a meeting and be at the meeting. I woke up like this, just so you know. I didn't do anything this morning. But you have product left over from before. You may be right, but still, I woke up like this. Yeah, well. Also, I'm not doing all this shit at night, so. Yeah, but you, you when go. you go to work, you do something. Uh, no, I mean, I went to work today. I, I just woke up out of bed and my oh, hair was like okay. this. Okay, okay, yeah. that's that's good. I'm glad you have a good there balance. Go. I don't, oh. you know, like, the, I knew girls in high school, and probably men and women still do this today, but they would get up at four. School didn't start until, like, 7.30 just to, like, <laughs> make up hair shower Ugh. all of it I, like, God, I, I, I remember meeting chris i remember chris meeting chris to go to school at 6 45 and i think i woke up at 6 30 if i was lucky <laughs> well, yeah especially because for me i was sometimes working until bashes closed at 11 which means you didn't leave at 11 and you didn't get home yeah. at 11 certainly so it could be after midnight some nights so yeah you best believe i was getting every minute of sleep that yeah. was possible <laughs> yeah i have a yeah. ratio for like when i have to wake up if i have a meeting at eight I only have like 7.45. If I have a meeting at like 6, like I did the other day, 5.58 when I'm waking up. <laughs> mm-hmm. It shrinks the earlier I have to go. Because it can't be 5.59. You need that extra minute to kind of be conscious yeah. and make sure you don't like accidentally Log stream live. Make or sure something. I get the yeah. call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So you got to make sure it's a little earlier by about a minute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jeez. I'll give you my routine, uh, Dave, if no, you want. No, These on. are I researched all the products. Nope. Macy's nope. like, it's a scam. I was like, it's not a scam. It a These scam. are like, I'm not expecting, you know, a miracle. I just, results. you're supposed to take care of your face. And I got. It is nice to not expect results. Yes, you're right. No. I, oh, that that's different. <laughs> there is results. Um, you, but, but if you're seeing uh, change already, it's like probably, it's like, it's too late to go backwards in most cases. It's all about preservation. So I like how you slammed the door on your kid, too. You were like, no, um, Alex, you can't be here for this. You don't even know my kid's names. Well, I didn't really see him. It was either Alex or James or 50-50. <laughs> he was barely in frame, I suppose. <laughs> I'm not exactly eager to come to Sean's defense, but the way it's cropped, we can barely see. So, so well, you, you saw the title of the episode. You probably thought, there's no apostrophe. You know I know grammar better than that. It just his son's out. And we already did the post-mortem on the Phoenix Suns themselves, so we're not going into that. We know what happened at the end of the season. There's still a large number of question marks about the offseason, particularly when it comes to roster construction. And we already talked a little bit about Frank Vogel. So instead, we're going to do kind of one last Suns cast of the summer because there's not going to be a whole lot to do. We don't care about, like, Summer League, for example. That's stupid. And there's not going to be a lot to say before training camp. Can I say nah. one thing? I, it's like a final word because I wasn't here for the postmortem. Or maybe I was, actually. You were not. But new things not. have happened. I just want to say the way that Denver rolled through the entire league, I feel a little bit not so bad about the way the Suns went out. I'm not saying we shouldn't have fired money. I'm saying it, th- there's definitely more to it. Anyways, they just killed everybody. Suns actually did the best of any team. We got blown out in the games that we lost, so that's not great. But we won the most of any team against Denver. I mean, if the you know Chris Paul didn't hurt his hamstring, we hold on in game two. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, uh, we go to seven. It, all other things being equal, they probably it's kind of like, hey. But yeah, yeah, and we can what if it to death. And those are legit. To be fair, like some of those, are like yeah, I mean that might have changed things. Who knows? But I walked away from this feeling much like I did with Milwaukee, where I was like, yeah, yep. we were not the better team, at least in that series yep. as played. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I take a lot yep. more comfort in that than I do against a certain other team in the year in between those two. And I think that's yes. why. And- he actually got fired. 
was well, like the Dallas yes. series. I, yeah. Like be, just being on very, very thin ice. Back to back years, plus losing mm-hmm. Aiton, plus obsession with Shamit, plus it's nothing against <laughs> Monty, who had his introductory press conference with Detroit today and talked about how his wife actually like had was diagnosed with breast cancer during the playoffs. So like once again, God. Monty just the stand up individual dealing with everything in front of him and being an excellent human being. So I wish nothing but success for him. But I think yep. it was time for a new voice in the locker room, which is a stunning thing to say after four years, but like we talked about, Michael Malone is the fourth longest tenured coach in the NBA. There is only four coaches who have been in their team for more than four years. Uh, how many years, Michael Malone? Eight. Damn. Eight and is wait, fourth longest. Man, there's so much Pops I could jump Bo. into with this, and we shouldn't. We should get to what we did today. But at another point, I want to talk about like all this. Yeah, I mean, we can do an off-season yeah. show at some yeah. point because we can fold the Suns into it, but there will probably be plenty of other interesting stuff. Hold on. It's Pop, Spo, and who's the third guy? That's the guy who longer. named his son Nick. Steve Kerr. Nope. Oh, right, 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 right. Because right, he right. named his son Nick Kerr, and I had to be very careful about how I pronounce that name because if you bring those syllables Nicholas. together a little bit, it's Let's not Let's call the best. him Nicholas. Let's yes. call him Nicholas Kerr. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. always. So, yeah, Pop, obviously, because he goes back to the 90s, and then oh. Kerr and Spo are on a tier of their own, then Michael Malone. And then Taylor Jenkins is fifth. So, like, you know, it, it doesn't really have the same. So, it's really interesting. Like, the coaching roulette that we're going on right now seems to be sort of the same as the player empowerment movement where it's like you may not be on a team for very long. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyways. Well, you know what? I'm excited for the show that we're doing. I think it's going to be contentious it. in a good way. I have a couple hot be. takes. Yeah. I might. I have a couple. So we're going to basically do, especially for the podcast listeners who can't see what's on top of the screen, we're going down a topic that I don't think we've ever even really broached before, which is interesting. And Not really. As I was thinking about it in the shower earlier today, I was like, I kind of wish we had, just because like when we did our best games ever update, it would have been cool to see what changed, what moved around, like how things would have altered in the last decade. But we have one now, so in 2033, which, oh, 2033. Uh, we'll see where we stand then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we have four titles. <laughs> yeah. I, I, hopefully we have one title. <laughs> one. <laughs> Let's start small. So we're going over the best Suns players and our favorite teams. Those distinctions matter because sometimes if you've been watching other content on the channel, you know that like our music lists are generally going to be more favorite than best. There's a little bit of both, but how much people bring into that, it's usually just meant to be your favorites. Whereas our best games ever list, had in the title, was best. So we're talking from a more critically acclaimed standpoint, like all these metrics and things that you can measure. So it's kind of hard to compare teams from different eras. I don't know what the 2023 Suns would do against the 1976 Suns. Probably beat their ass because the 76 Suns weren't very good. But like, there's really no way to know, and it's kind of silly to try. So those are going to be favorites, how we connected with them, what stood out to us, where we really like followed the team ride or die. The Suns players that are the best is going to be best because I my fuck this up. My <laughs> favorite player, like Lou Amundsen's one of my favorite Suns of all time, but he's nowhere near the top 40 best Suns players of all time, so like very different list that one. The only way I fucked it up is I think I did best on both. So, I'll adapt. Best on both I'm a well. professional, we'll figure it out. I can do this. I got you, this. You know the Suns well enough. Yeah. That you can adapt on the fly. So, so I'm guessing we should start with players then so you have time to adapt your team's list. I, I It's all going to be like super on the fly because if we're starting with players, I really want to get into the players. But I'm fine starting with players. Who should go first? Yep. That's a good question. Uh, I, I'll start. I'll oh, start. Wow. I'll start. Okay. I'll start. I don't right. know. I don't know that it's... Uh, do you want me to give my top 10 or just my number one or number 10? You did 10? a top 10? We're supposed to do top five. I did a top 10. Oh, oh fuck. I did a top 10. 
On players and um, teams or just players? Just players. Just players. Oh, boy. All okay. right. So I actually, I actually did a top 18 on players, but I'm not doing that. Okay. <laughs> I thought about going farther, we'll but I only did the top bottom. 10 on players. Yep, you number know what? 10. Like, blow My through your 10 through 5. Like, okay. like relatively quickly. 10 through 5. Uh, number 10, Dan Marley. I don't know. I'll, uh, number nine, Paul Westfall. Number eight, Chris Paul. Okay. Number seven, Kevin Johnson. Number six, Connie Hawkins. Chris Paul is, was, is so hard for me because he's mm-hmm. such a huge part of one of the best teams we've ever had. A couple of the best teams we've ever had, but he's potentially going to be a son for what? Three years. Well, and so I thought about that exact same thing because Chris Paul, this was the hard one. I was like, holy crap. I, I started this list and I originally had Chris Paul at number 10 and I started thinking, I'm like, okay, what other player came here in a massive trade, made the finals their first year, had a possibly a better team the second year and flamed out in the second round in seven games and then fell off a cliff at the end of his third year and might not be in the team at the end of the fourth year. Oh, Charles Barkley had mm-hmm. the exact same trajectory. Yet, Charles Barkley is almost at all the top or near the top of every, every Best Sons player list. Why is Chris Paul not there? He's got the previous accolade. He's got all the accolades here. I think he's, I might be low on him, honestly, putting him at number seven. That's fair. You want me to rattle off mine real quick on the low end before we yeah, get to our top yeah, fives? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, number 14, Dan Marley. <laughs> Ooh, okay, sorry. Number 11, Chris Paul. Ooh, hmm, hmm. Because hmm. I'm not going to fault anybody for putting Chris higher for some of the reasons Dave just mentioned. So I'm not trying to do this to throw shade. But my hot take is only three seasons. And I value like a Dick Van Arsdale's contribution to the Suns a lot more than Chris Paul's because he wasn't even the best player on the team. That's now, fair, a little bit man. of that is me pushing back against the narrative that existed, especially in that first season where it felt like Booker was not getting enough credit and Chris Paul was getting too much. I mean, Chris Paul made two All-NBA teams in those three years. Then again to continue the Charles Barkley thing you mentioned, he won an MVP. So even then, not quite the same impact because that was Charles's team. He talked yeah. about how like with Kevin and Dan and some other folks, like he's like, oh, I'm just trying to fit in. It was Charles Barkley's team. It's not Chris Paul's. That's fair. That's fair. And now more than ever, especially after the last season, it's become clear that no, Devin Booker's just him. And oh, yeah. Chris Paul was very, very good. But we already saw the spark of that with Ricky Rubio. So I'm I'm hesitant to give him too much credit. Now, again, 11th in three years is pretty good considering that this franchise has had some solid, solid players play for it, but that's they're both off my list. My 10 through 6, uh, let's see. All right, Dick Van Arsdale. Was he the original son? Yeah, that's, well, the, the quote-unquote, yeah. yes. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, three all-star teams, nine seasons with the Suns. Jason Kidd. I thought about that one. Ninth. Only four <laughs> years here, but once again, like, they were successful for almost all of those. There's one really bad year in there. But, you know, 15, 7, and 10, two steals a game, three all-stars, three all-NBA, three all-defensive teams in those four seasons. So I was like, wow, I mean, I don't really like Jason Kidd overall, and this was before he developed the jumper, but I kind of got to do it. Uh, Paul Westfall was eighth. Yeah, So right I'm in the spot above Dave. Um, somebody who I think is chronically overlooked on these lists and i don't think don't unless dave has him in his, his top five which i would be stunned by walter davis yeah god his sweetness i thought about putting him as well this 10 years with the suns 21 a game four and a half assists one rookie of the year six all-stars two all nba teams 550 win seasons in an era of the suns that's kind of forgotten late 70s early 80s 
Um, so was that but, after all the drugs? That was before all the drugs. Oh, before. no. Yeah. <laughs> all the drugs from the mid-'80s, the same time Len Bias died. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then number six, Amari Stoudemire. Ooh, number six. Interesting. Number six. I mean, yeah, it's a... Uh, Stad is an interesting person, and uh, just because of the offensive force he was, oh, my God. Like, it, it was... I, no one... I mean, there have been players like him before who dunked as hard as him. Sean Kemp comes to mind. But holy crap, he came in the league and everyone was like, whoa, what is this guy? So, I don't know. He was fun. I think Amari is part of what ruins DeAndre Ayton because it's the same franchise. And there haven't been many players like Amari even since then, even as athleticism has continued to grow in the league. You know, you could have somebody who can finish in the pick and roll and on lobs like a Clint Capella, but who has nowhere near the all-around offensive game Amari did. So, like, Aiton's got the touch, the footwork, but can't catch a pass and sure as hell can't dunk. So, like, when we compare him, we think about Hakeem Warwick as the Amari comparison. No, I actually think Aiton gets a lot of comparison and it hurts him. You mm-hmm. took my point word for word. Is like, I think as a Suns fan, uh, people are more critical of Aiton just because of Amari. Yeah, for sure. Everyone says, man, if you could just have him dunk or like Amari, he'd be unstoppable, which is true, but you can't just meld players together. So, hmm. hmm. You can try. I mean, the only other player who <laughs> finishes sort of like Amari to me is Giannis. But even Giannis yeah. is different because he's got more like Euro step side to side stuff where Amari went right at people. The difference is Giannis goes through them and Amari kind of went <laughs> over them. I like, guess you could say peak. John Morant. Kind of the fearlessness on attacking the rim, kind of. Yeah. And to be clear, my top six was a separated bunch. So even though Amari is sixth, there was a gap between him and Walter Davis, and it was pretty sizable. Yeah. Um, I'll do mine. It's really, I remember, I did 10 through six right now. So um, (laughs) Dick Van Arsdale, Dan Marley, Kevin Johnson, Chris Paul, um, Amari Stoudemire. Wait, maybe I did too many. I think he um, did. And then, and then Sean Marion rounds it out. One, two, the 11. three, Oh, four, Sean Marion. So no, Sean no, no, Marion no, and... no, 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 no. Don't get Sean oh, Marion yet. Don't touch Sean Marion. <laughs> he revealed his number five. Stops at Stoudemire. Van so Ars- I had it right. Van Arsdale, Marley, KJ. Um, De- Marley, KJ, Chris Paul, Stoudemire. Okay. So Stoudemire six for both of you. Interesting. I'm, I'm making a list for the group so I can do, combine them. Do you know what it was? Sean Marion and uh, Stoudemire are both such critical parts of well, I would argue is one of the greatest things we've ever had. Yeah. Um, uh, Sean Marion was just here longer and maybe a little more pivotal to the system success. Yep. Just by a hair. But he really got the edge yeah. for me because he was just, he was here through the dark days. I'm going to dive into Marion a lot later on our teams, our best teams ever. Spoiler alert. Oh. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so yeah. So I guess. This is where we're going to get more discussion. I What's think, supposed to, yeah, yes, it is. What's yeah. supposed to do a top five? Like, uh, going one by one, I feel like it's going to take forever, but I don't know. I think we go, we start naming off players and tell them where we rank them and then talk about yeah. them because okay. I think that's going to be easier. There's going to be all of us yeah. have four of the same top five. You're right. So I think. I'm going to start already... I'm going to start with number five, my number five here, who I'm going to name off is just Omari Sotomayor. Since we've already talked about okay. him, he was my number five. And I, so I think we're all pretty equal on this. You two have six. I had a number five. I mean, rookie of the year, some yeah. handful of all NBA teams, um, all-star nods. Yep. Dunk really contest champion. Good. I think Sean and I both have Sean Marion fifth. Okay. Yeah. yeah um, so we might as well get to him now, Dave, where you have him. Yeah. Four. 
Well, yeah, if you saw right Sotomayor, I want to talk about Sotomayor, though, really quick, just because okay. I he was great. Um, he also evolved uh, in, like, not yes. a lot of, again, to go back to Aiden. Like, he, uh, Sotomayor was just, like, dunk first. Pretty good footwork, but really, pick and roll, dunk. And then he developed, like, a mid-range shot that was, like, as lethal as his, like, uh, driving rim game. What was funny about him is that he had that unbelievable athleticism and the run through you, go over you, don't care, break the rim on a dunk type of mentality, which was fantastic. And then he hurt his knee and had that microfracture surgery, which had he been born 10 to 15 years later and been in today's NBA, everything would have been different because that procedure is so much different nowadays. And people come back a lot better from it, from what I understand. Uh, but he had that whole year off where he couldn't wait. And all he did was shoot jumpers. Yep. All he did was shoot jumpers. And so it helped him in a sense to continue his career because he got a lot better and it was a lot less fun to watch in a way because yeah. he wasn't dunk, jumping over people, but still he was a better player as he went on. Um, I think you can give a little nod as far as good he was to New York, Amari Stummer, because he was really, really good for those two seasons before Tibbs ran him into the ground. And I feel bad for him for having such a short career because he had two coaches that absolutely like to run their players into the ground. We all agreed that we should not have signed him. And looking yes. back, I'm like, maybe we right should have just signed him. Uh, is, it, in I mean, hindsight. The way it turned out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we, the way it uh, turned out. Immediately plummeted. I don't think we were expecting that. In the modern NBA, there doesn't seem to be anything such as a, a non-tradable asset. We've talked about the most onerous ones, like a John Wall, a Russell Westbrook, whatever, and almost all of them been traded at some point, Davis, Bertans, whatever. Back then, if Amari gets hurt year one or two, you can't trade him, and you're just yeah, eating you that entire him. contract. So, like, it was the right move. It kind of hurtled us off a cliff, but it was the right move. But you, but you know what, though? You wonder one more season with that team? Maybe well, that was the problem, though, was that it wasn't paying for one season. It well, was right, five. Right. It so would have been a like, gamble. But... Yeah, you pay for the one or two years up front, and then you hope. And like you said, I don't even know if we thought that Amari was going to fall off quite that much. But Retroactively, I think it was a bad move, actually. like At the time, you almost have to do it. But looking back, we were so bad for so long after that anyway. We might as well have just rolled the dice. Well, and... <laughs> and no one knew that it would happen, but if we would have just signed him, we could have amnestied him a couple of years afterward with the new CPA that came through. So right. we actually could have gotten off of it pretty easily. So yeah, yeah we didn't know. Yeah, we didn't know. And you know, Nash was about to fall off a cliff himself. So I like, wish he would have rebounded better. He was like a fine rebounder, was, right? But yeah, he was not very big, and that was either. the thing. No, and, and that was something that actually I recently, eh, not recently, but like last year or so, I watched a uh, bit of the game six, I think, of the Lakers Sun series in 2010. And I just, it was a, a stark contrast to the 21 Suns, which are so good at defense, because I watched Amari and like, how Gasol is just like running circles around you. It's kind of stunning to yeah. see how bad he was on defense. Yep. And so, like, he could be good defensively if he really put in the effort he had some good weak side help as far as blocks go he just i don't know if he just didn't have the court awareness or what but just wrong that was his biggest flaw to, yeah. to develop a yeah. great defense um absolutely well i think the common denominator there is all three of us have marion right above stoudemire and for mm -hmm. me the defense was the deciding factor 100 everything yes, defense rebounding huge rebounder he was just like the I mean, blue guy and that's almost like an insult because it was so much more than that but yeah that's part of why you. One of my it. favorite, one of my favorite plays in Suns history was Sean Marion getting that rebound, kicking out Tim Thomas. I mean, yeah, that guy played forty-five minutes that game and somehow got his rebound and jumped out and got a bounce out there. Yep. 
Great defense, great rebounding. Uh, you know, decent shot, decent offensive ability. He would frustrate you at times, but... I mean, he got the toughest assignment every night. Yeah. And there were other players that did that in this era. You know, you think of Tony Allen, you think of Bruce Bowen, you think of whomever, you know, Tayshawn Prince. None of them did what Marion did on the offensive side. Mm-hmm. And that was not really ever having a play called for him, drawn up for him. You know, it was all just be scrappy, set some picks occasionally, roll, shoot threes with your weird-ass motion, and get offensive rebounds. And, you know, it, and obviously he was also very good in the fast break. So, like... He managed to get you know 18 points a game in a Suns uniform, and it was without having a play design for him at all. Pretty impressive. Was, yeah, and doing all that, um, and the only thing I think his the only thing that knocks him down for me a little bit of hey, because I do have him higher than Stoudemire because of the defense, because of what he meant, especially that 0506 team where Stoudemire was out. Like we lose Marion that year, oh god, we're done. Like there's yeah. nothing that mattered that year if we lose Marion, but he then had that ego. And like, I don't know that I could fully understand how someone could be like, you're on the Phoenix Suns. This team is a championship contender for a five-year window. Who cares if people think you're the second or third best player on this team? Who the fuck cares, man? You want to go over to Miami and do nothing for years? It just didn't make sense. It didn't make sense why he cared so much about being the man. And you know, like, the NBA is so fascinating because you just it's a talent is huge, but then ego goes so far. And you look at Jokic, they're like, they can't get him to care enough about winning a championship. <laughs> the, like the <laughs> no, ego is so removed. It's like, eh, actually, it's okay to, we, we, we would like you to go to the parade if you can make it. No, I have to go home. <laughs> yeah. I had to spend three more days here. Gross. <laughs> and he was like, oh, you know, like it's was, a that... job and I don't love my job. We did it though. That's cool. And you're like, God damn. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was always an issue with, uh, with, with Marion, but still great. Still. So Marion was both of your number fives and my number four. Is that correct? Yeah. All right. I put Connie Hawkins. I don't honestly know a lot about him other than like a huge name for the Suns. One of our first mega stars, sort of like a flashy fun to watch player. Uh, that's about the extent of what I know about him. So. What I know about Connie Hawkins, I mean, I have talked to a couple of people. My dad has lived here forever and was a Suns fan when he was a kid. Uh, and then a couple of his friends I've talked to who have been Suns fans since they started in 1968. Some of them, a couple of them I've talked to, swear that Connie Hawkins was by far the best Suns player ever to lace it up. Just talent-wise, some of them swear by it. I don't know enough because I haven't watched him, but there are stories of him dominating the playgrounds when he was young, really coming in, playing really well on the Suns. Um, he was like a huge pickup at the time when we got him. It was like, holy shit, we got Connie Hawkins. I can't believe this. So there is some, you know, a lot of buzz around him. It's just, we don't have the footage. We don't have really the ability to analyze his game. But stories tell me he's well-deserving of a top five left spot. And yeah. I had him six, so. <laughs> I, and I don't know how many, uh, I think Chris went through it. The uh, maybe somebody, Walter Davis, I think, but all-star appearances and things like that. Uh, Connie Hawkins, 20 and a half points, nine rebounds a game and five seasons for the sun made uh, four all-star teams. Pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. He was my number 16. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) yeah, well, we differed a little bit on that one. (laughs) A little bit. He was like the name for the Suns, Like you just said, Dave, like when we, you got him in the trade um, or Mm -hmm. was it a trade or be signed him? I don't know. But uh, he was like the free agency didn't exist back then. Oh, nice. Um, 
Okay, so then, I mean, I'm down to my Chris top three. Four. So why don't you guys mention I need, somebody? I need to know Chris's number four first. Uh, that's your number four, Sean? Yeah, that was number my number four. four. Was, oh, okay. I'm like adding up points and stuff on the fly here. I'm cool. Doing, I'm doing a yeah, whole thing. Yeah. Uh, let me delete some of these rows so I can see. And my number four is Marion, so we've already covered him. Yeah. Can I remove these rows or these columns, please? Thank you. Now I can see everything. Great. Uh, All right. My number four is Kevin Johnson. I am a little stunned. The two of you have him so low. 12 seasons for the Suns, 19 a game, nine and a half assists. He's still sixth, I believe, all time in assists per game. Higher than Nash, who, of course, got off to a very slow start. Um, steal and a half per game, three all-stars, five all-NBA teams. Um, to me, I, it sucks that I have to not love him as much as I'd like to because of everything that's happened since his career. But even back in 1994, he talked about how I'm signing one more contract and I'm done. And he was. He retired at the age mm -hmm. of 31 until the year 2000 when everybody under the sun went into the triage unit including Jason Kidd and a few others. Hardaway was hurt, of course. Rex Chapman got hurt. So it was like Rodney Rogers, Tom Gugliotta, and question marks. And Jerry Colangelo calls him up on the phone. He's like, we need you to come back. And he hasn't played a game in two seasons. He's not in game shape whatsoever. And he comes back Yep. in that's, our time of need. That's one of my favorite teams ever, actually. And he didn't play all that well. I think he averaged like six points a game in the playoffs, even after he had a couple weeks to sort of get back to game speed. But the fact that he was a steady influence, that he ran the offense, he got a decent amount of assists. Like, And again, you can't hate on him for it. He hadn't played the game in two years, and it's not easy to come back at that level. Even Jordan didn't really succeed at it right out of the bat. Like He needed the end of the regular season to be sort of himself in the playoffs. So for me, like that loyalty, the fact that he really only played here in yeah, the one season before. But like that length of time plus how good he was. And now we can't really talk about how slept on he is because – and stuff that happened after. He, you know what? He's probably my number four. If I'm being honest, I, again, I just threw in the last five. Um, he's probably he's probably right after my top three. We're all going to have the same top three, I think, in I mean, some order. I mean, he's yes, probably my number four. I love Kevin Johnson. And yeah, I mean, I know he's, I guess, like so a creep, but... <laughs> it's the hard, That's the hardest thing to rectify, because when I was nine years old, we did a family trip to the East Coast, and I went to the Basketball Hall of Fame. And I remember looking at all of the exhibits and did all this cool stuff at the Basketball Hall of Fame, me being a nine-year-old obsessed with everything basketball. And we went to the gift shop, and my dad said I could buy something in there. And I bought a Kevin Johnson jersey. That was what I wanted. All I wanted was a Kevin Johnson yep. jersey, number seven. And I wore that thing until I basically was tearing it at the seams after I grew out of it. I, Kevin Johnson was my favorite player growing up. I wanted to be exactly like him. That dunk over Olajuwon was, yep. holy shit, I cannot believe he just pulled that off. Yeah. Uh, when he guarded Jordan in the play in the in the finals, I was like, yeah, he's got him. He didn't have him. But <laughs> Did anyone? I mean, <laughs> no, no one did. But, but playing every uh, minute, or I think damn near, I think all but one minute of the triple overtime game. 63. Yeah. 62 out of 63, I believe is what it was. Like, Yeah, I mean... Just so much about him was just amazing. He did have the loyalty. He got traded basically as a rookie here. Um, the problem is for me, honestly, is there's just been better. There has been at least one better point guard. I'd argue possibly two better point guards since he's been here. Um, and everything else. Just everything else is really Which, hard to Which, you know, explore. sucks, but... We said best players, right? Not favorite. Yeah. And if it was yeah. favorite, that might impact it. Yeah. Great talent, but what an asshole. Um, best players. <laughs> I mean, he's up there. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you know, I've talked before about like the Chris Benoit effect, where it's like celebrating the artist. Yeah. In lieu of what could be a train wreck of a personal life, so like when I think back to when I was a kid, and like you said, I mean, there was, uh, yeah, we're gonna get to Barkley. You know, like that was a profound impact on the team and our winning culture and whatever. But like, KJ was the guy because he was there before. Yep. You know, he. By the way, we got to give a quick shout out to Larry Nance, who's not going to make anybody's top ten. He was like eighteenth on mine, but the trade of Larry Nance is what opened the door to everything that followed. Because in that trade, yes. Tyrone Corbin, eh, Mark West, the draft pick that became Dan Marley, the draft pick that became Dan Marley and Kevin Johnson. So that's basically the entire core of the late '80s teams. Those last couple of years of the '80s, where they added Chambers as the first notable free agent, yep. who was also really good in a Suns uniform, but only for five seasons. Um, but that was the entire, like that's you know Marley and KJ in that deal, and Mark West, who you know couldn't withstand the floor. He was a foul machine, but like he was a core player for that entire run. And them having some success opened the door to Barkley. So like mm-hmm. all of that has this cascading effect. But KJ is kind of the heart and soul of it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Man, for all sure. these players five seasons. <laughs> yeah, that's it's so th- funny. There's, yeah, there's a reason that uh, I have somebody ranked as high as they do already. But anyway, uh, our number three. Here's where we're gonna start diving possibly or we're all going I, to agree Ooh, we could maybe have all the same number three actually possibly i think we'll have the same possibly. number three okay i i have barkley i have barkley i have barkley okay okay all right there we go <laughs> i guarantee you we're gonna have a different top two um but uh, we're on barkley um i mean took us to the first finals in many people's lifetime because it was almost 20 years after the first time we went to the finals. Uh, one MVP. Probably shouldn't have, but he did. So fuck <laughs> off. Um, yeah, he and Malone both seemed to get courtesy <laughs> yeah. MVPs in that decade, which, eh, you know, whatever. I mean, we still do yeah, to this day, right? I mean, Joel so, Embiid just got a courtesy MVP, yeah. so. Um, I mean, sort of responsible for, like, I, I, it's hard because I wasn't a – well, I was alive, but I wasn't, um, you know, old enough to really know back then. But I feel like sort of catapulted the Suns to a new level of uh, uh, prominence in the national picture, and even just in Arizona. Um, that was a team that my dad and my uncles were like really obsessed with, were, with sort of middling fandom before that. Um, just, just huge on so many levels for the Suns franchise. I remember. 19, summer of 92, I was seven years old. And I had been to one Suns game in my life. I think I fell asleep because I was five years old when I went. I think I fell asleep during the game. Um, and I just remember hearing about the Suns. It's like, yeah, they're, you know, they're here. They're fun. Yeah, but they made the Western Conference Finals a couple of years before Barkley got here. You know, they were a good team. Yeah. They just couldn't get over the hump of the Lakers. And, you know, the, the they had people in front of them. And when they trained for Barkley, everything changed. And I remember becoming a Suns fan with the combination of the Dream Team in Summer of 92 and Barkley being on it and being like, oh, hey, that's my player. That's on my team. That's another great point. Yep. Huge deal. Like, that was all of that at a seven-year-old time was so, so influential on me. And Barkley, I have kind of to thank for that because he gave the team attitude, swagger, the best team in the league record-wise that year. I don't know what else he could have brought to the Suns in that year to give them national prominence, respect. We were already a very good team for years. The Suns have only missed the playoffs. Before this last decade, they'd only missed the playoffs a handful of times in their history. And Barkley just kept that going and brought them up to another level. 
And it's just disappointing to me that we didn't take advantage of the non-Jordan years in 94 and 95. That's the biggest disappointment yeah, for me. Yeah, those hurt more than 93. Kind of like oh. last year hurts more than two years ago in mm-hmm. the modern team because yeah. those yeah. had higher expectations and feel like wasted opportunities. And we're going to talk about the benefits of expectations versus not when we get to favorite teams. But I'm with you. It's frustrating because, like you said, we were the little team that could no more so than the 75-76 team, which was underdogs the whole way. They flirted with 500 the whole season before making mm-hmm. the finals run. And they had good teams at the end of the 70s, like we talked about, you know, the Walter Davis-Paul Westfall era. They fell off a little bit in the mid-80s briefly with the drug stuff. And then again, with this core we just talked about with Marley, et cetera, KJ, like, they bounced back. But that team wasn't winning a title without Charles Barkley. Yeah. As good as they were in 92, not nearly good enough, especially in the Jordan era, to get over the hump. Mm-hmm. Barkley was different. So even though he was only here four years, because he got came here in the middle of the season, left in the middle of the season. And I mean, like, look at like 23 and a half, 11 and a half boards, four and a half assists for a power forward in that era, a steal and a half per game, almost a block per game, all four seasons, all-star, all four seasons, all-NBA, and the MVP you mentioned earlier. He might be the best player who ever wore the uniform, except for Shaq who obviously we're not talking about right. as far as yeah. the greatest sons, mm-hmm. but like he has such an impact in a short time that I feel like the only reason we can't put him higher is the four years. Otherwise all of us would have, like if he was here six or seven years, I feel like all three of us have a tougher decision, but that's why he's number three for all of us. Weirdly too. Yeah. It hurts a little bit, right? That those, two, cause it was three, one, both years, right? Yep. To Houston. Sure mm-hmm. was. That, I thought it was two Oh, both years. And then three, one, one, I think it was three, one, both years. I remember three, one, but yeah. I could be wrong. This could it be like at, at least this point once. a legend that has spawned. Um, yeah. That would hurt so bad. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm glad that I was a kid and didn't fully get it at that time because I'd be catatonic blowing a 3-1 lead with Sam Mario Ellie with the kiss of death, whatever. I'd just be catatonic. Like, I this feel is like a, I became uh, a, yeah. I became a big fan the year after um, what would have been 95. It's like 96 was the first year I really mm-hmm. started following the Suns. Um thank god in a way that i would have just cried my i remember well, being in a restaurant and my family was losing their shit because they're like i can't believe they're gonna do it again mm-hmm. what's interesting is we've never played the rockets in the playoffs except those two years <laughs> wow so our all-time record against them is six and eight because we lost both series four to three dave's right it was 20 and 3-1 <laughs> in 95 <laughs> Ugh. Lost game five Just... in overtime in 95 uh, at home. <laughs> so that one, this is especially painful. Because um, we lost three straight and then won game six in 94 and then lost game seven in a close one. Lost by one point in game seven in 95. In 95. So yeah, just that was the... like that close. And who knows? I mean, again, you can't be like, well, we would have won the title, but I like our chances. Yeah. Is the Knicks and the Magic if we make the finals? I don't know. Who did the Rockets play in the Western Conference Finals those years? Do you have that? I don't remember. Okay, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, Barkley, like what he, he put us on the map in a way that no one else had before, He's even though we had very good players before. That mattered. I mean, honestly. Yes, it did. Yeah, I can agree with that. Like the scene. The one of the major scenes of where the players get their talent taken is him in a son's uniform. Yeah. At Madison Square Garden. I mean, it's it mattered in a way. It connected with people in that era in a lot in a lot of ways. And I think of like the Gatorade commercial where he was like, I'm not a role model. Like all these like huge things, which is like 
you know, when you have the debate of like LeBron versus MJ, I think a big part of that debate is the impact Jordan had on Gatorade and Nike and like culture, the dream team. And it's not fair, but these are all things that like LeBron, like it's hard to compete with. Um, it, you know, for Jordan, who just went beyond the numbers. And I think for Charles and the son's legacy, like he brought us to a new tier. Yep. And he's still got the lasting impact too, because he's still popular today. Yeah. He connects with today's generation. The people out there who, who were born after he retired are adults now and still know who Charles Barkley is. Thanks to inside the NBA. So yeah. I still love the guy. I think he's absolutely fantastic inside the NBA. I love what he says. I love that he's a fair weather fan when it comes to the Suns. He's like, my sons. Oh, they suck. He's not my sons no more. It's, well, it makes me laugh. <laughs> I'm so glad that he amended whatever issues that were there. Cause like for a yes. while he like wouldn't come back to the arena and mm-hmm. um that i'm i'm thrilled about so yeah rockets beat the spurs in 95 i can see that one pretty easily the number mm, one seeded spurs by the way because we were the three seed yeah. of course the rockets were six mm. that would have been a tough one but david robinson that's kind of like and the rockets as this six seed are one of those rare examples we talked about how you almost always have to be a top three seed this is one of those Rare ones that broke the mold. They, of course, swept the magic, beat the beat the yeah. shit out of them in the finals. I always think back yeah. to that conversation that we had, actually, like a lot. Like when I'm looking at, I mean, it was recent, but like you look at this year's finals, Miami, so good, made it all the way. Who won the championship? Yeah. The number one seed. <laughs> yeah. So, yep. Beating three playing teams along the way. But, <laughs> yep. We're not going to be better about that. Denver. I've I've been very supportive of the of the Denver Nuggets mm-hmm. as far as like, it sucks to see another team win a title before us. Yeah. By the way, KJ had forty six in that game seven in ninety five. <laughs> Damn. Barkley had eighteen. Ooh. Ooh. Twenty three rebounds, five assists, seven I thought, turnovers. Yeah. I had an uncle talking about how what killed us was he got hurt at some point, but yeah, then he, like would not allow himself to get pulled out. And he played forty four minutes. He wasn't one hundred percent. I remember going back and watching the highlights of this game. And he was obviously like the main focal point of the defense from the Houston Rockets, and Olajuwon was on that team. What baffles my mind now in retrospect, because I didn't really understand back then, I was like, oh yeah, go Suns, go, but I'm like 10, was the idea of trading him to the team that broke your heart Just in you, two yeah. consecutive playoffs to get back some of those players that nowadays I probably would have despised. Now, obviously, we ended up hating Robert Ory anyways, but yep. at the time, I wouldn't have known that until he started, like, you know, throwing towels at coaches. But even back then, I'm like, man, I like, I don't, I don't want Sam Cassell here. He just beat our ass two years in a row. Like, yep. fuck him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. kind of weird when you think back on it now. I feel the same way yep. with, uh, and, and this is not, he has does not have a big history of beating us at any history. But when I hear people are like, yeah, you know, we really should trade for Pat Beverly. Like he would be really good no. on this Frank Vogel team, and I'm like, fuck yeah. that. I don't care. <laughs> You're probably right. He probably would be I like operate and allow uh, Booker and uh, KD to do that. I don't give a shit. Do not bring him to this team. Correct. Correct. So number two, the top two, and we can't really reveal one without spoiling the other. Right. So we might as well mention the two who are here. They should not be a surprise to anybody who's ever listened to this podcast or anybody who knows anything about basketball. Steve Nash and Devin Booker are up here in mm-hmm. some order, one and two, but I don't know that they're going to be the same like they were for Barkley. I'm going to be the dissenting. I, I would bet we'll money. See. Hold on, hold on. Let's see. How about let's? How about you hold up fingers for our audio or for a video, and then we'll save for the audio for Steve Nash. What did you vote, Steve Nash? Hold up fingers. Ready? Three, two, one. Mm. Dave's the dissenting. I'm the dissenting man. voice. Interesting. Interesting. We sort of. I voted Steve Nash number two. This was the impetus for this entire thing. Was we had this conversation in the car in Phoenix at some point. What were we doing? 
uh, driving right? back from playing basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah. So, like, we were – this kind of came up as, like, okay, so let, let's just give you – let's give you the statistical case real quick. And then All we'll right. talk about why one's one and one's two. But Devin Booker is now through eight seasons, which – God. Uh, yep. <laughs> I think that's what Dave was alluding to with mm-hmm. his time. Yep. 24 a game, four assists – or four rebounds, five assists. Three All-Stars would have been four this year, didn't play enough. One All-NBA would have been two this year, didn't play enough. Uh, that's not even like sour grapes. That's a fact. Because some voters still voted for him, even though he only played, what, 56 games yeah. or something? Yeah. 55, something thereabouts. Um, Steve Nash, 10 seasons with the Suns, eight that we really care about, just like Booker, because the first two, obviously, he was drafted into yeah. that team with KJ and Kidd, which was weird. Had the three-point yep. guard lineup at times. Mm-hmm. Kind of funny when you think about them all being top 75 players of all time. Um, 16.3 points per game, 11 assists. Shot 50-40-90 as a son. Not not just the two seasons. <laughs> the eight seasons combined, 51-44-91. Yes, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of ridiculous. Six All-Stars, five All-NBAs, and of course the two MVPs, one of which you can certainly make the case he didn't deserve. Um, but that's fine. Who cares? The MVP debate is I stupid. Would, although I'd argue that he should have won in the year in which he didn't. That 07 team, I think he should have won that year, but yeah. no one wanted him to be three-time yeah, MVP. So it all balances if out, you could right? go back yes. and like change some of these around, it'd be fascinating. That could be even a show yeah. one time if we at least go back to like the 90s, because I don't know the 80s ball that well. But like just thinking about who won and who should have won, because obviously yeah. we correct, we we don't want three-time MVPs. We just saw it with Jokic recently and Giannis recently, and like it. <laughs> Well, and it's interesting because the narratives matter, though. Like, if we were to go back and look at the numbers, that's only half the story. Case in point, Steve Nash, at least one, probably both, were very narrative-driven. It was how we transformed the team, uh, the way we revolutionized the NBA, what he did when our second-best player went down for a season, how we did when he got hurt for, like, those four games and or five, and we <laughs> lost all of them. Some people yeah. say that's what won him the MVP that year. So, um but- if I had to rank my favorite players, I don't know exactly where Nash and Booker would rank as far as favorite players, but I mean, he's absolutely up there as far as best and favorite. And Steve Nash, at the time when he was at the peak of his powers, 05 through 0 through 10, basically, I'd say, that guy was a wizard on the court. Yes. Like, I watched him and just said, how? How in the hell are you passing to people, hitting people in perfect spots? I don't remember the exact stats, and I wish I did, but, like, the team on Nash passes was, like, 5% better shooting or something like that. Like, some, like, stupidly good number on his passes specifically. He knew how to find every person perfectly behind the back passes, uh, no-look passes, and they weren't for flash. It was because it was the right thing to do. He was like Jason Williams, but good. (laughs) And and, (laughs) And could shoot. (laughs) Exactly. And and he could have been better if he played in today's NBA with shooting the way Steph Curry does now because he should have shot more. He's admitted as much. I've had an interesting time thinking back on Nash over the years because what we realize now that we didn't then is how heliocentric he was then. Every possession was Nash dribbling around, Nash dribbling down the free throw line, under the baseline, back out on the other side, probing, pick and rolls, like the ball didn't really leave his hands all that often. And what I'm realizing is the difference between that and a Luca James Harden, whatever style is that it was always looking to pass first. Sometimes too often as he himself has admitted now, after he retired, 
he was such a good shooter that he really should have been hoisting more per game, but he was looking to get everybody else involved by default because that was what made the team better. And obviously the style of basketball that we all like watching has good passing in it. It's why the Nuggets were fun to watch because of Jokic's ability as a passer in particular. So like, I, I would think looking back, it's like, man, he dribbled the air out of the ball. It's like he did, but it was in pursuit of the best look for anybody but himself. Yeah. And that was important because, like you said, I mean, it gets teammates involved. They feel like they're going to be trusted to make shots. They know they're going to touch the ball. They'll play defense harder. It just worked. What got me as far as ranking him so highly to not to the two MVPs. Yes, of course, the accolades, the 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 good teams that we had, although we never got over the hump and got to the finals with him was the fact that he had Stat and Amari, or Stat and Marion with him. And they were great players, all-stars, fantastic players. And then he made Marcin Gortat a damn near borderline all-star. And it's like, God, Nurse, you're really good at this. I did a Sporkle the other day. For those who don't know, Sporkle's like an online quiz site. Mm-hmm. And it was, name the Phoenix Suns leading scorer from each season. And it was <laughs> a nice way to kind of prime myself for this, because I was like, oh, geez, like, Westfall was like four years in a row, and like, blah, 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 right? Marcin Gortat was a leading scorer for the Suns one season at like 12 or 13 a game. It's a horable season. I think it's 10-11. A horrible, awful, no good season. But it was only because of Steve Nash. Because he wasn't that with the Magic before he came here and he wasn't that anywhere he went afterwards like the Wizards. So like, Mm -hmm. yeah, he made Gortat and Tim Thomas and a whole bunch of other players, Quentin Richardson, like a whole bunch of other players, a ton of extra money for making them look better than they were. Yeah. Tim mm-hmm. Thomas, huge example. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when Maybe we all the know biggest example. Rental. Yeah. We all know he was a rental at the time. We, it's like, look, play hard, and we'll get your ass out of here for a bunch of money, all right? Yeah. We knew it was a mercenary case, but still. So, he's, like, He's my favorite player of all time. Uh, there was just something about when he came here. It, uh, I liked him in Dallas. I was like, ooh, yeah. like, I want some of that flash here. Turns out he unlocked like a new level. It was a little bit less about the flash and more about just great passing. Well, and the way he came on in 2004, too, was just like, hey, the Suns were terrible yeah. in 2002, exactly. 2003. Or sorry, 03, And then 04, 05 came. It's like, ah, the Suns should be good. We got some nice young players. Nash has been pretty good. We way overpaid for him. We paid him $15 million. Yeah, that's way too much. Funny in today's numbers. Um but and then all of a sudden we come in and we're like we start the season like twenty and three or something like that. It's like oh oh hello <laughs> oh yeah the Suns are fun again <laughs> so fun it it was you know even uh, even when we had good teams these days a lot of it was still like ISO and all there was like no ISO on the team they're just like fun to watch every time no. that's I loved watching all those games because it was just like fun to watch even when we lose yeah and I, sometimes we I, lost I, badly because of that style it was so high octane but if you weren't making shots and you weren't able to get out in the fast break as often they lost games by 30 pretty regularly Mm -hmm. they didn't lose a ton in that era but when they did sometimes it was bad but you didn't care because you're like ah well we'll get them next game we'll win that game by 25 and i feel like i remember um i remember in high school when i was on the i was playing in high school uh oh one oh two oh two oh three i almost stopped watching the suns entirely i didn't like stefan marbury I didn't like the way the NBA was, the 81 to 79 finals games. I was just like, it wasn't enjoyable for me. I have Steve Nash to thank for really getting me back into it. Yep. Because ever since then, I have been back into it. Well, that's just it. He was a breath of fresh air, not only for Suns basketball, because we had been bad for a season and a half, but also just the NBA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because now, I mean, everything is a hyper extension of the tenets of seven seconds or less, effectively. Maybe not shooting early in the shot clock so much, but pace spacing 
shooting at every position, switchable defenders. Those all started with this team. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. his his media presence was great. He was an awesome personality. I loved the hair for as long as it lasted. Actually, everything about him. Man. I, and Dave, I'm with you where I was actually weirdly a huge fan of the Sun still in the years before we got um, Nash. I don't know if I've ever been more excited in any game than when uh, Stoudemire. No, Marbury. Oh, my God. Now I can't remember. Um I hit that like half court shot to beat the Spurs. He banked in the three to beat the Spurs yeah. in game one. Yeah. yeah. I was like, we just won. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Like this doesn't happen to teams I watch. Um, but then, but I, Nash comes and all of a sudden I'm watching every game. It's like appointment television for me and all mm-hmm. my friends. And it was just another level. I, I loved was... him so much. And then what he did in 2010, I think just cemented it. Him and that yes. team. Yeah. So, so I mean, I, we don't have to talk about Devin Booker. We will a little bit because we would remiss. We would be remiss not to. But I one. think we are basically laying out the case for why Sean and I both have him number one still. And I wrestled with this one a lot because there was a time in the middle of that playoff run where I was like, "That's it." Yeah. Like Booker's number one, and I thought about it more, and I'm like, he doesn't have the accolades. He hasn't had the impact on the league, and I think he's still going to surpass him, and it's not going to take much more. But I think. Honestly, as dumb as it is, the first two seasons that Nash had here still matter, even though he didn't play much and wasn't very good, because he was still our guy. Yeah. Even though he left for a while and he became who he was in Dallas before he took it to another level in Phoenix, he was our guy first. You can remember the dopey-looking pictures of him in those rookie season of the second year where you know he's wearing shorts that are way too big for him and whatever, right? Like, I think that still matters to me. Because, I mean, ultimately, we're comparing eight-year runs between Booker and Nash for when it really matters. But that's not the entirety of Nash's time with the Suns. Yeah, I see. I, all your reasons are valid, and I can't fault anyone for picking Nash number one. I have number two. It's close. What Devin Booker has meant to me, to the city, over the last eight years, going through the shit that he did, going through the garbage teams, becoming a good player becoming a star being told how oh your empty stats and then in the bubble picking it up and showing people how good he, he is because it kind of had nobody else nothing else to watch and people were watching and then the next year you get it finally a solid running mate a 20 point a game score someone who could be an all-star with you and holy shit we made the finals in the first year and performed in that playoffs and performed two 40 point games in the finals having triple double in the western conference finals being the solid rock. And then the thing that pushes to him to number one for me, for Devin Booker, is he has improved every facet of his game every single year in the league. He was an atrocious defender when he came to the league. He's a, a plus defender now by far. I think he was one of our better defenders on the team last year. Certainly. And he's become a lethal scorer. I mean, watching him in that game four, I think it was game five uh, of the Clippers series, where we put up 50 points in the quarter and Devin Booker was just going nuclear. He has that stretch in him frequently. I was at, a, I remember I was at a game once uh, years before when we were still bad. And then Devin Booker put up like 25 in the quarter. And just like the entire place just didn't know what to do because yeah. Booker was just making everything. He and, is so everything to this team. And we drafted him. You know, not not just that he's been here his whole career, or, but like maybe we traded or no, we we were the ones that drafted him somewhat low for the impact that he's eventually had. Um, I, it's just like it's not fair to him, but you look at like 
his stats, let's say, on elimination games. Uh, like, he's just... It's hard to... Dis- for me, I'll just say me, it's hard to disassociate Devin Booker from some of the worst heartbreak I've had as a Suns fan. And, like, Nash, you know, there was a lot of heartbreak, but, like, it wasn't... One time he got his nose broke. One time his teammates got benched, and it's like it wasn't his fault. And I know it's not Booker's fault, but... I. It's just something I struggle with. Uh, I can't get over it. I can look on the flip side of the elimination games because the games where we have opportunities to eliminate teams, the Lakers, for example, Fair. in 2021. Amazing. I mean, closeout games. Um, the Nuggets, he had a good game. Chris Paul kind of took over that one in 2021. Uh, the Clippers series without Chris Paul in game one, 40-point triple-double. I mean, he has big games. But, yes, I understand where you're coming from. Game seven against the Mavericks and game six this year against the Nuggets. I, I get it. And it wasn't even that bad against the Nuggets this year was not great by any means but no for other like more pressing reasons why we lost that game especially just defensively where yeah. it was yeah we were an open gate with no barrier whatsoever I don't know I think I'm torn because uh, we mentioned favorite versus best Devin Booker is my favorite Suns player of all time for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned because he's grown up in front of our eyes because he's improved in every facet, as you mentioned. Because, like, Steve Nash, as good as he was here, never really changed. Mm-hmm. He didn't really. He certainly didn't get better defensively. He was always a good effort defender, and he had good uh, instincts for the passing lanes just because it was, like, his vision in reverse. But obviously, undersized, could get bullied easily, especially in a more physical era. He was, like, a finished product, more or less. Essentially. Yeah. So we got him in the back half of his career, and at the time, it didn't even seem like that was going to be true. It seemed like he was already declining, and of course, we knew that the best was yet to come. Mark Cuban didn't know that, but it's fine. Don't worry about that. So, like, it's hard to compare the two because of that reason. But watching Booker ascend has been one of my favorite things as a Suns fan, especially because it happened in those terrible years, and then it paid off in team success. Yeah. And obviously, like Nash never made the finals, so that should be a leg up for Booker. I can't do it yet. I can't do it yet, and that's frustrating because again, favorite, no question, is Booker. Best, I think I still have to go Nash. And, you know, I, it's it's funny because we'll get to that as far as, like, Booker and those teams and Nash and those teams. What I think we probably all realized about 20 to 30 minutes in, if not sooner, is we're going to need a part two for this We're going to need a part two on this, for Very sure. Very clearly. Ah, uh, I just have such a hard time not... Okay, and maybe it's recency bias. But, God, watching Devin Booker just take over games the game six of the lakers series by the way when it was just like oh yeah we're done with this fucking team like watching him put up seven threes and a half against the lakers oh yeah we're done with this team watching him put up you know the the point the the 50 point quarter against the clippers just the game three and game four against the nuggets this year when you know we had two players and booker just 20 of 25 in a game twice how many other players in Suns history has done that nobody to that level of efficiency he got to a point where he was shooting if he shot it i'm like well that's going it's going in like he doesn't he's done booker he doesn't miss the 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 turning of the national opinion of him in so many ways from yeah he's a good player to holy shit he's a superstar I just, I know, and maybe I'm factoring a little bit, the best is yet to come, but I've watched him this past playoffs especially and said, yep, he's the best one to ever play here, I think. Yep. Yep. That's fair. Group list. All right. 
I gotta sort by it. Hold on. Well, number one's gonna be Steve Nash. Number two is gonna be Devin Booker. <laughs> Damn it! No. Number it's gonna be Charles Barkley. <laughs> That's right. And then it's gonna get kind of interesting. It's close. Sean Marion. Sean Marion's fourth. KJ's fifth. Amari is sixth. Cliff. <laughs> um, Connie Hawkins seventh. Chris Paul eighth. Paul Westfall. Looks funny because I just have last names, so it says Paul and then Westfall. You said Cliff for a second. <laughs> Cliff I was Robinson. Like, How did Cliff Robinson? Uncle Cliffy. <laughs> and number 10 is Walter Davis on the strength of my seventh place vote. Because <laughs> you guys both voted for Marley, but it was too low. And we had two votes for Van yeah. Arsdale, but it was 10th for each. So It's a pretty good top 10. I would take that team. Yeah. I uh, I can only say, you know, maybe some om- some little omissions and honorable mentions, maybe. I still love Antonio McDice. Like I, I'm so mad the lockout or the the striker lockout in '98 fucked us because he was so good and then we couldn't sign him because of the lockout and then we got Tom Gugliotta instead, which 13 year old me knew was a stupid fucking decision. But <laughs> let's whatever. Actually, he, I like that you're doing this. I was maybe the uh, biggest Tom Gugliotta fan. I hated him. That existed. Hated him. <laughs> I was a huge Tom Gugliotta fan, and then he uh he made like the um he was on Team USA. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, Tom. And then he got and then he was destroyed by Sean Marion. I was what and... Dave was to Tom Gugliotta, except with Danny Manning. Oh yeah. Like fourteen or thirteen year old me was like, Well, that's not gonna work. <laughs> Can't stay healthy. He, sure uh, he won like six man of the year, right? Uh, at some point. Danny Manning? Yeah, Danny he Manning. did. Rondy Rogers did as a son. I think one other person did as a son. Rodney Rogers was the one that we I was so that. excited about. My dad was so excited. Yeah. And he sucked. He's a good player, but he wasn't. He didn't live yeah. up to that contract. For us, yeah, yeah, yeah. certainly. Uh, honorable yeah. mentions: We kind of threw out Chambers, Nance, Alvin Adams hasn't been said yet, and should he was twelfth on my list. Thirteen years only on as a, a son, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but just not good enough. Only made one All Star yeah. team, like I, so. I, I got to give him props for loyalty, but he would, did not make my top ten. Jeff Hornacek should be mentioned again. Does not belong yeah. in the top ten. Gordon Dragic, I think, should be mentioned. Mentioned. I. He was important. I enjoyed that team. As much as I hate blood, so now that was a fun team. Yep, Marcus Morris. Is, uh, no one was better <laughs> on like the open floor, like on a fast yeah. break. He was just like, "Oh, it's in, it's going in. He's yeah. gonna make it or get fouled. That's it." And you know, you can throw out some older heads like Charlie Scott or Gail Goodrich, but they didn't really play a ton for the Suns. I think one was four seasons and one was three. And like, while they were very good in that span, they're also too old for us. So like, and. Uh, I don't know if you can put him on best. Uh, he'd be pretty low, but Leandro Barbosa had uh, impact at least, and you got to like mention him a little bit for the impact he had on those teams. Higher up on favorite than best. Yeah. Yes, for he's sure. Great. <laughs> and for you know, sure. coming back at the end, just like Marley did. You know, I I love a good reunion tour, so that was great. Just being like, oh, yeah. even though he wasn't very good, but you know, it's oh look, it's LB. He's got a beard now. He looks old, which is weird because he looked <laughs> like he was twenty for six seasons, huh? And then, oh man, <laughs> I, I would love to do a show where we take all those players that were on the two thousand five Suns. How many got to go win a championship? Because <laughs> there's quite a few. Um, Barbosa, Sean Marion. Yeah. Not Nash, though. Not Nash. Not, not, certainly not, Nash. not. But it's fine because DeAndre Jordan is a champion now in the NBA, and no one can take that away from him. So yeah. is Ish Smith. Although he did play three minutes in the last game there, mm-hmm. unlike Reggie Jackson. <laughs> All right, well. We didn't get the favorite teams. Yeah, when you were gone, Chris, we talked about... I heard, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's fine. It's not shocking to me, especially since we went 10 deep on players. It actually wraps up a pretty even-keeled show. This is actually good, because if it's favorite teams, I can adjust my teams a little bit. Um, I'm going to benefit from this week. Okay. 
So we'll get to that probably sometime later in the offseason. Next week is probably Review of Palooza, which Cody's not hearing about. He's in the room. He's not on camera, but it's fine. Um, next week will probably be reviews of Ted Lasso and Spider-Verse and uh, Guardians 3. Uh, I had tickets to see Spider-Verse tomorrow night. We're watching Ted Lasso on Thursday. We saw Guardians 3. Dave still has to do that. But we're going to try and review all three of them because I don't, I don't know I have a ton to say about Ted Lasso Season 3, but I don't think any of us are going to love it. I was going to say, one of those that you listed is one of the best movies I've seen in a long time, actually. One of those is a TV show that I almost completely hated. So. <laughs> ah, you can't completely you know, hate uh, it. Well, I said almost. I said almost. Oh, there you go, almost. Like you two almost <laughs> voted for Walter Davis like you should have, but you didn't. So you know, almost has to do a lot of legwork in that sentence. <laughs> and then we have a game it. show to get to. We have this at some point in the off season. Like there's, as usual, plenty of stuff coming up, especially if like like Sean's here. We're going to be at 8 p.m. again as a reminder, 8 p.m. AZ times if you're joining in live. That's the end of the episode. Thank you for watching. In between episodes, you can find us on our website, objectionnetwork.com or youtube.com slash objectionnetwork. I don't even know what's coming up. That We've just finished the Zelda Top 25. Now there's nothing posting this week, but we'll, we'll fix that soon. Stay tuned. Goodbye.